Thank you for checking in to this episode of 10 Questions with NBC10 Boston. I'm Kwani Lunis. Over the next few episodes, you'll be hearing from mayoral candidates for the 2021 election here in Boston. First up, Andrea Campbell. She was the first African-American woman to serve as the president of the Boston City Council, where she still serves now as representative of the 4th District. That district includes Boston's Dorchester, Mattapan, Jamaica Plain, and Roslindale neighborhoods. Take a listen. Today's guest, Andrea Campbell, is one of the first candidates for mayor that we'll be talking to on the series. Andrea, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> How are you doing? One moment at a time. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine. Hydrated, you know, in this hot weather, in and out, but um, I'm blessed. No complaints. You have to stay hydrated. This heat is no joke. My air is on and it's still hot in this apartment. It, it, it is. And, you know, I have like fans and extra things going on. And so I sometimes wonder if you can hear it in the background, but it's like. I hear a little bit. It's 100 degrees. You. <laughs> you know? So turn up your volume, keep your fan on because it's 100 exactly. degrees. <laughs> I'm happy to be here with you. <laughs> so you did declare that you are running for mayor last year, at the end of last year. Why the jump to the mayoral seat? Well, so I've been on the council for the last uh, six years, working on a whole host of issues um, with my constituents. I largely represent Dorchester, Mattapan, where I live with my husband and two boys, a little bit of Jamaica Plain and Rosendale, and working to improve our Boston public schools, housing affordability and the housing crisis, uh, policing reform, and frankly jumped into this race in September because of the inaction on all of those issues the inaction when it came to closing the inequities in our education system, the inaction when addressing housing affordability and displacement, the inaction on policing reform. And I said, because of the murder of George Floyd that we all experienced and witnessed, this is our time right now in the city of Boston to address our own painful history of race and racism and to do that hard work of eradicating these inequities. And I think and still believe I'm the most qualified candidate to do just that in this moment in time. And you mentioned policing. That is something that is very close to you. What do you think will be needed for when, if you were to step into that mayoral office, for police to be really held accountable? A whole host of things. You know, for me, this work is, is personal. When I talk about systemic reform, I've been working on systems reform since I started my legal career in Roxbury, representing students in education cases. You know, I do this work after losing my twin brother who died while in the custody of a state prison here in Massachusetts when he was only 29. And the question I ask is how do two twins born and raised in the city of Boston have such different life outcomes? So I have been focused on criminal legal reform, policing reform since the very beginning. And I do think that this is our time in this city to really push our department to be the most transparent and accountable and diverse in the country. But we still have a lot of work to do. You know, one year I had to subpoena our police department to get basic data on who we were stopping in the streets. And it revealed that 70% of the police stops were black residents, even though we only make up a quarter of the population. So that lack of transparency, lack of accountability um, is still on full display, I think with the recent Patrick Rose case, but I have been at the forefront long before George Floyd pushing for this department to release data proactively, pushing for a civilian review board, really proud of the legislation that I was able to draft and pass in partnership with the mayor's task force 
creating the Office of Police Accountability and Transparency. So now it is about continuing that work now as a counselor. And then, of course, if I'm blessed to become the next elected mayor, implementing all of these reforms with a sense of urgency. How do you think your current relationship with the Boston Police Department will help with that role? I and think, that yeah, it's it's necessary. You know, I don't always agree and officers don't always agree with me. And I say that's a good thing. We shouldn't all agree. We should create a space where everyone feels as though they can be at the table and forming the conversation. And for me, it, it really means setting a very large table. So not just having officers, of course, at the table, not just having the unions at the table and fellow counselors, but also the community. There have been advocates and folks in the community that have been pushing for these things for a really long time, long before I joined the city council. And it's about time, right, that we make these things happen. Residents don't want to wait anymore. So for me, it's yes, implement the reforms we committed to, but continue the dialogue of making sure everyone's at the table to hold us accountable and delivering a system that is equitable, that is just, and that meets the needs of our residents based on what they tell us they need. And you are a Boston born and bred girl from your core. You did end up going to law school at UCLA. During your career, when did you make that decision that you were no longer going to be an interpreter of the law, but rather someone that is creating the laws, specifically in your home state? So yes, I'm born and raised in this great city. I love the city of Boston uh, because of that. The city made me who I am. Um, and I went off you know, to college after graduating from Latin school to Princeton and then UCLA Law School. I came back home and really found myself trying to figure out what, what was the future for me. And I like to think that everyone should take these moments when you ask tough questions like, why am I here? What is my purpose? What am I meant to do with my life? And I asked it after suffering tragedy, right? After losing my twin brother, Andre, and really thinking about how that could happen in this state. How could two twins going through very painful circumstances, most of our lives were affected by incarceration, our parents passing away when we were really young, are really asking in the midst of all that, how could I be successful and him be such a tragic end when he was smarter than me, brighter, more charismatic, um, and so for me, the work of becoming an elected, running for office has been always grounded um, in response to those deep questions and asking, what is my purpose? Mm -hmm. And for me, this work is about breaking cycles and generational cycles of trauma, of poverty, of criminalization, of inequity, and doing that work with a sense of urgency. I now have two beautiful boys of my own. And I've been telling everyone in the city, we all have a role to play to make sure these inequities go away. And for this city to truly reach its full potential for every resident, regardless of their demographic, regardless of their native Bostonian, or if they got here this morning, that's the work ahead. And how do you sustain work like that? Because a lot of people are comfortable with change. How do you plan on coming in, really uprooting a system that has been here for a while? I think it's one, it starts with listening. And I've been doing that for a long time. Since I joined the city council, I started my first campaign on a, with a listening tour. This mayoral race is the same thing, doing a lot of listening from residents and stakeholders all across the city of Boston, including folks who don't live here, but work here and want to play a role um, in making sure that this city eradicates those persistent inequities. And I've been saying that we all have a stake in this city's future being equitable for everybody. And it's because I think we all want our children, right, to have access to a good education and opportunity. 
We all want our young people to have access to good jobs. We want every neighborhood to have access to a good park, to transportation, to a robust economic business district. We want the racial wealth gap to be closed. We don't want Boston to be seen as literally the city with the widest racial wealth gap in the country or a city where policing reform is not taken seriously. We all want that. We all have a role to play. I do the listening part to understand why that may resonate with a particular individual. It may be different. For some, it is about their children. For some, it really is about climate, about resiliency. For some, it really is about eradicating racism in this generation, not future generations, and really doing that and getting rid of discrimination. But for me, leadership really dictates that we have to take on the hard fights. And right now in the city of Boston, the hard fight is dealing with the racial divide, is dealing with the fact we're still segregated, but using this moment in time as an opportunity to fulfill our potential of being the greatest city with respect to uh, every issue you can imagine. And no urban city has figured that out. And Boston is right to do just that. During your time of listening to your constituents, what has been the biggest complaint or concern? A whole host of issues. Number one is COVID. The next elected mayor is going to have to still deal with COVID-19. We still have people dying from COVID, still getting sick. As we talk about getting folks, of course, vaccinated. Um, school, a lot of parents are frustrated with the learning disruption, students as well. How do we make up for that over the summer? How do we address the mental health concerns of our students, our educators? Housing affordability, people are afraid. They're not gonna be able to stay in the city of Boston, live in the city of Boston. The opioid crisis, and I put this right now at the top of the list, it is on full display in a whole host of neighborhoods, definitely at Mass and Cass. And I grew up on Mass Ave. I did not witness that growing up as a young girl, even though we were poor. I didn't have to worry about needles in my park or in my community. That is a major, as someone recently said, humanitarian crisis that we absolutely have to get a handle over. So I'm pushing the administration to do more with respect to that issue, um, along with other issues, but right now, I've been asking everyone uh, to really do the work of acknowledging that the other public health crisis we have to deal with in the city of Boston is the opioid crisis and the homelessness crisis we're seeing in certain neighborhoods in this city. And it's absolutely unacceptable that the administration hasn't given the response that is necessary to have the greatest impact. What do you think is a natural first step to combating those issues? One is who the leader is. You know, I jumped into this race saying, I am not only a leader that has a unique personal story that informs why I do this work, and that it is about breaking generational cycles of these inequities that we all have been talking about. I've done it in my own life, I've done it for my boys, but I also wanna make sure it is done for every family in the city of Boston. That why is important to me, it informs my leadership, but also I have been working on these issues since the very beginning. I have been taking on the tough fights, pushing for policing reform, pushing for criminal legal reform, pushing for uh, people to be able to live in the city of Boston. My first piece of legislation on the council was a Community Preservation Act. It is generating millions of dollars every single year for affordable housing. I put out a report nearly three years ago on how to improve our Boston public schools that went nowhere. So I jumped into this race saying, if I were mayor, I'd dust that report off and implement it immediately. So it really is about leadership and operating with a sense of urgency. And as a resident recently remarked to me, you know, someone died for me. And this is why I do this work. 
it, there will always be a sense of urgency because in this work, there's something personal here for me that will never go away. So if anything, I have to make sure I'm taking care of myself, that self-care, doing yeah. my prayers, right? And staying connected with residents who also are about moving the needle on all of these pressing issues quickly. What does your self-care look like when you're not working? It is hanging out with my husband, spending that quality time with yeah. my boys, you know, running in the yard in this heat, spraying each other down with hoses, uh, a lot of candles, <laughs> a I lot candles, of prayer, that. <laughs> oil, right? Um, and a lot of prayer. My foundation of my life is prayer and, and I don't start my day without it. And I surround myself with folks who challenge me to be the best human being I can be. And those are folks who love me unconditionally and I'm blessed to have a great family and some incredible friends and a team surrounding me that um, believes in me. And going back a little bit to the, the talk about leadership in the city, recently Boston was the spotlight in the NBA playoffs, for that matter, when Kyrie Irving said that he had dealt with racism here in Boston. And Jalen Brown actually combated that with a, a few things that he thinks does need to be changed in this city. From your perspective, especially in a city like Boston, what role do you think athletes should play when it comes to politics overall? An incredible role. I remember when I was actually pushing for policing reform at the local level, the Civilian Review Board, this Office of Police Accountability and Transparency, pushing for the department to release data. Um, I actually was in contact with folks from the Celtics. Someone had actually had um, some of their team members um, and their leadership contact me about the work I was doing over the years. And they wanted some ideas on what they could do and what they could push for. And I was reminding them that they have an incredible platform not only in the context of policing, but talking about what's happening behind our walls, our prisons, and the fact that we are over-incarcerating black and brown women and men, of course, both. That we are seeing, of course, immigration policies that are deporting um, innocent individuals who are here for a better life and who contribute to our economy. So there is a way for athletes and celebrities to step up and stand up. And frankly, given the audience they have, it's really important that they use that platform. We all have a platform. And I often remark too, that I could be one of those young people, right? That ended up in detention. I could have been my brother, right? There, there are different things that happened in my life where I could have gone in that direction if I didn't have opportunity, if I didn't have mentors and good teachers, if I didn't have coaches. All of these athletes can speak to that, right? They had folks who invested in them because they could have too become a statistic. And I think we have to get out there and share our stories and share that reality as a way to maintain that sense of hope in our young people, but also to stand up for what's righteous and what's just. On a lighter note, this is, as I mentioned, a sports city. So I'm going to have to make you pick, and you can't give me a political answer. <laughs> what is your favorite Boston sports team? <laughs> it is, it's the Red Sox. Okay. It's the Red Sox. And part of that is because I used to work at Fenway when I was in high school and just I didn't know much about baseball and fell in love with it. And then, of course, it's the Celtics and the Patriots after that. There we go. Yeah, like I said, you, all of them are in your heart, but the Red Sox have That's a little right. And you know, when you grow up in Boston, you have to be, you become diehard. Um, just, it's just sort of ingrained in you, right, growing up, that you just yeah. have to love these teams. They matter. It's unacceptable to not. I That's think. right. <laughs> That's right. It's like a, a test almost. Yeah. Overall, I know this is kind of a cliche question, but what do you think makes you 
the best candidate for mayor in Boston? A few things. One is definitely why I do this work. Um, that is distinct from every candidate in this race. It really is a story of pain and loss connected to our criminal justice system. You know, losing my mom when I was eight months old in a car accident, going to visit my father who was incarcerated. Our father being incarcerated for the first eight years of our lives and then suddenly passing away when we were 19. And then for my twin brother to also pass away connected to the criminal legal system, that has had an imprint. Um, and it's not about me and my, just my story. It really is a story that is reflective of so many families in the city of Boston. And then it's like, well, where do we want, what do we want to do with that? And for me, it is about breaking these generational cycles that still exist in the city of Boston. That's very distinct from every candidate in this race, but also the issues I have focused on from the very beginning, racial equity, policing reform, our Boston public schools, housing affordability, you name it, always have been at the forefront of these issues long before as a candidate for mayor. That sets me apart. And I have a record of accomplishment on all of those issues. And then my leadership style. It's always been one to bring people together to pass major legislation. When I hosted summits and various things or various events for civic leaders to come together across every neighborhood, it has always been in such a way that I say everyone has a role to play. I see the humanity in everyone. And now it's our time to operate with a sense of urgency to get it done. Because if not now in the, in the backdrop of with George Floyd's murder and COVID-19 and the health disparities, particularly in communities of color, then when are we going to do this? Um, and so I've always also operated with a sense of urgency. What is your favorite thing about being from Boston? Oh man, that's a, oh, there's a whole bunch of things. <laughs> um, it has to be just education I got. You know, I went to five excellent Boston public schools. And I always stress that all five of them were excellent from pre-K to the 12th grade. And I often say, but for the grace of God in the education I got in this city, I wouldn't have made it to a Princeton University. I would have been successful there. And I wouldn't have been able to pursue my dreams and to have a sense of, of just that I could do anything even in the face of growing up poor. You know, we grew up poor. We lived in public housing. Um, we didn't have a lot. But yet when I went into these school settings, I had teachers, mentors, coaches, friends that believed in me, that always talked about the possibilities, that exposed me to places outside of my neighborhood, exposed me to communities in states um, all across the country, right? My double Dutch coach took me on a college tour in the South. So these things, these opportunities would not have been afforded to me, um, but for this city, the city gave me everything. And so now it's it's my job and responsibility to make sure that this city affords everyone the same opportunity I had growing up here. Double Dutch coach? That's right. <laughs> Middle school at the Timothy School. My best friend, Ama, I have to give her a shout out. We were um, trying to figure out, we want to do double Dutch. And I think she only lasted a little while, but I stuck with it. And um, it was amazing. And most of that programming was free. So not only did I get to participate in competitions, the first time I left to go on a college tour, college tour was when I was in middle school um, and exposed me to Georgia, all the Southern states. And um, it's remarkable what sports, of course, can afford our students um, and what it means to give our young people opportunity. And many are, are lacking that today. And some of these inequities in our education system have actually gotten worse, not better. 
we can change that city of Boston because we have everything it takes to be able to close these gaps and to eradicate these inequities, everything, the resources, the talent, the human capital, the people, the industries, the ecosystem. We just have to make sure that ecosystem is available to everyone equitably. And when we get back in person, we will need to see if you still have the hops <laughs> in the room. <laughs> <laughs> I will tell you when Congresswoman Presley was doing some of her uh, jump jumps for peace. It was um, events she would do in the community. I was definitely there, and I was like, "No, no, I'm not here just to take pictures." <laughs> so I hadn't lost it. I don't think I've lost okay. it. So looking forward to it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Andrea Campbell, and if you did. Please be sure to share this episode with a friend, someone that you think should be voting on November 2nd, 2021 for the mayor of Boston. Also, if you have the time, please leave us a review. And if you haven't already, please be sure to subscribe because we have a lot of other candidates coming your way. Thank you for listening. And as always, you can watch the video on NBC10Boston.com slash 10 questions.